Perhaps as you heard that reading and read along with it, you thought, boy, am I glad I came tonight. That was certainly my sense when I read it. And we will get to that reading, but before we do, this being President's Day weekend, I wanted to start by saying just a bit about George Washington. I don't know if this is still true, but when I was growing up, we were told as children the story about George Washington and the cherry tree. We were told that he had chopped down this cherry tree and his father, knowing full well that George had done it, asked who chopped down this cherry tree. And George said, I cannot tell a lie. I did it. Good story to tell children. I will tell you, it doesn't line up with my experience of raising a child. I have a son, and I can tell this story because it's now a family joke, but anytime something happened that he had clearly done, and you'd say, how did that happen? He would say, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And I say, we now joke, whenever any of us does something we shouldn't, I didn't do that. But George Washington was apparently honest, even as a child. He was also, and we know this to be true, a remarkable commander of the revolutionary forces and someone we are told and have every reason to believe took great care of the men who were under his care and who were often fighting in dire circumstances. He also resigned as president, which may not seem like such a big deal, but no head of any country had ever done any such thing. You were kings, and you were either, either overthrown or succeeded after you died, or you were head of a tribe, and you were overthrown, or you were succeeded. He actually gave up the power of the presidency. Of course, he was also a slave owner, and about that he had no qualms, as far as we know, at all. Nor was he alone among our founding fathers and presidents. Thomas Jefferson had many slaves, James Madison, and yes, George Washington. And when you know about his sterling character, perhaps you wonder, how could that be? Well, that could be because he, and many in his time, did not think that those Africans were people. They were property. Not people, but property. Not people, but objects. And that, interestingly enough, brings us to the gospel. The gospel where Jesus is trying to move us from adherence to the rules, adherence to the laws, good laws, to intention, to move us from the external barriers to an internal conversion. So Moses said, God said in the law, thou shalt not murder true enough and a good rule. But Jesus wants us to turn away from anger. Because of course, anger is what 
can lead, and too often does, between individuals and nations to murder. And the only way you can really murder with a clear conscience is if you have decided that the one you are killing is somehow less, not quite as fully a person as you. And he talks about adultery and the prohibition also given against that, but moves on to lust, because of course, what Jesus is talking about is again, the ways in which people are turned into objects, the ways in which women have for millennia been turned into objects instead of being seen as people. And he talks about divorce because it was another variation on that theme, for in his day, it was only men who could divorce, and they could do it for any reason whatsoever, and simply by issuing a decree or saying, I divorce you three times. Women were property, and actually the notion that women are more than property is a fairly recent development. And about those oaths, do not swear, he says, do not take an oath. Because of course you have to take an oath, you have to put your hand on a Bible in a courtroom because the assumption is that if you don't take that oath, swearing is what comes naturally. Lying is what comes naturally. And so we are asked to turn away from what comes naturally, and that is to lie, to protect ourselves, to actually telling the truth, seeing other people as whole people, understanding that no one is less than we are. And so he is talking as he speaks about us as individuals, but he also helps us see that he is telling the truth not just about people, but about systems and institutions too. The church has gone right along for centuries and centuries with seeing some people as less than others. It is why during the civil rights movement, people could say that Sunday morning was the most segregated hour in America. And that's still not so far off the mark. And of course, our politics are built almost entirely on dehumanizing those with whom we disagree, seeing them as less unworthy to be listened to, not worthy of being heard. And our governments, and all governments, have so often operated by deciding who is of value and who is not. It's how you can have the Holocaust, because Jews are not fully human. It's how you can put children in cages, because you don't think somehow that they are your children, for whom such a thing would be unspeakable. So what then shall we do? Well, Jesus calls his hearers then and now not to just live up to the ideals of Moses or George Washington in his best parts, but in fact, he is calling us 
to live into the law of love. And the first step is to become conscious of all the ways in which we restrict love for ourselves, for the people nearest to us, for the people who look like us and think like us and sound like us. Jesus asks us to consider the law of love and to more and more believe that every person, no exceptions, is of equal value to God and therefore meant to be of equal value to us. Looking at our history, our personal history, our national history, our global history, we may be overcome by the seeming impossibility of the task. We may hear that reading and think, I wish I hadn't come. But the truth is that what saves us and what can change us is that knowing that Jesus sees and has seen each of us and all of who we are and all of what we've done and all of what we do, and he still loves us. So perhaps we can move in love towards his vision.